The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. So uh, my name is Mira, Mira Young, and uh, some of you may be familiar with me, others new. And basically, I've been a, a, a long-time community member here, and I've um, occasionally done talks when Mark is um, away, as he is now, doing various retreats. And uh, also, I've been um, practicing and teaching and integrating um, meditation into my um, work as a therapist and as a meditation mindfulness teacher in the community. I'm at several adjunct faculty at several of the universities, um, including the U and St. Kate's. And so um, I'm happy to be here. And uh, tonight's talk is on uh, the wisdom mind and the four maras. And I have a subtitle called Melting Delusion and Finding Bedrock. So, so I'm going to explain a little bit about uh, the four maras and delusion. Does anyone relate to delusion and confusion? Yeah. Uh, I'd like to start with a quote by the Dalai Lama. How do we overcome ignorance, ignorance or delusion? By praying to the Buddha? No, by following the path that he showed. And as he said, you are your own master. The Buddha didn't say, I'm the Buddha, pray to me. He taught the four noble truths, suffering, the cause, cessation, and path to it. He taught about lasting peace that can only be achieved through practice. His whole teaching is based on the law of cause and effect. If you want to change, create the causes. So I was just contemplating uh, on a recent self-retreat, just being in the countryside and noticing the changes and just how, how like the mind and the heart, you know, some days it's, it's the sun is shining and everything is kind of thawing out, then it gets kind of muddy then things start to melt and you see things on the ground that you don't always like to see. And then water starts to flow and, and, and then, then things might get solid again, right? And kind of frozen. And, and, um, and so it is with us as well. And, and also, we often are running around. You know, we're running around. We're busy filling. We're busy doing. We're busy going here and there. And I, when I was on my retreat, um, as the sun was shining and the hermitage was getting warm, some of these, I call them ladybugs, but I think they have a different name and they can bite. But anyway, they come out and they start, you know, very determined, marching up and down, um, you know, window sills, And they look very intentional, like very purposeful. Like, and they're just kind of back and forth, back and forth. Anyway, I don't know if this means anything to you or not, but I just think about how we, we just kind of go about our patterns um, kind of mindlessly and, and often um, very um, running around and not really attending to um, what's happening. So where are we going? And what is Mara? Mara is delusion. It's a Pali word for delusion or ignorance. Not knowing, not perceiving things accurately. And there's three roots of this Mara or ignorance. It's also known as the kleshas in Sanskrit, in Pali. So there's ignorance, attachment, and aversion. There's also ignorance, craving, and clinging. So there's variations of how you might define these three different clashes. And actually, you can add two more, pride and jealousy. So these are some of the, the patterns, the roots of our suffering. Pema Chodron says that traditional teachings on the forces of Mara describe the nature of the obstacles and the nature of how human beings habitually become confused and lose confidence in our basic wisdom mind. 
So I'd like to just mention the four different maras, and then we'll go through them a little more, flesh them out a bit. And then what, what, what to do about it, what are some practices. So the first mara is called Deva Putra Mara, and this is the pleasure-seeking mara, the Skanda Mara, and then there's the Klesha Mara, and the Yama Mara. So Deva Putra, Skanda, Klesha, and Yama Mara. So the first one, the Deva Putra Mara, is that is about more about how we want to seek pleasure. That's the craving part. That's the one where we get addicted to stuff. For me, it's chocolate or Netflix or something, right? Where we avoid, we try to blot out pain, we try to escape. Sound familiar? And then the second Mara is how we are always trying to recreate ourselves. So we're, we're always reestablishing a sense of me and whether I'm okay or I'm not okay. And when things don't work out, we keep trying to get some ground under us. We keep def- redefining ourselves and, and trying to get a solid sense of me. And, and it's very difficult when things fall apart. And we can talk, hopefully, time for discussion about times when things don't always work out. You know, you lose your job. Someone you love might get sick or die. Um, <coughs> There's something about your, your, in your own life that, that is uncertain or impermanent or you're anxious about. And, uh, and we keep seeking some way to, to make ourselves solid and have things be more grounded. It's very difficult to open to impermanence. And the third one, is which I, I tend to relate to, is strong emotions. That's the Klesha Mara. So the Deva Mara is the pleasure-seeking. The Skanda Mara is how we try to recreate and solidify when things are falling apart and we get very reactive. And then the Klesha Mara is the strong emotions that have to do with how we use our emotions to keep ourselves numb or dumb or asleep. That, that often the pattern is that, that we're, something's going on in our lives and then we have some strong emotions and then we have these stories about why it's happening, and then that gets even more strong, you know, like putting logs on a fire or oil um, on it. So, so we have these stories about it. Like I'm trying to think of an example. I realized that working with clients, um, that actually I'm dealing, we're dealing with the four maras, we're dealing with delusion all, a lot of the time, most of the time, because someone comes in and they have a story about how I'm not enough or I should be doing something better or um, I should be able to be in control of something that I'm not. And, 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 then, and then there's a story about it, like, well, this is the reason and I'm always like this and this is how it goes and, 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 and it's a lot of suffering and it gets inflamed. Pema Chodron says that we throw kerosene on the emotion so it makes us feel more real. Um, one, one person I worked with recently who, whose life, who's let go of a lot of the dramas, who's, le- who's been working more on creating more balance and letting go of, of certain patterns and behaviors that create more suffering, including getting lost in the strong emotions, um, is you know, starting to miss some of that juice, right? Starting has one particular habit that's kind of slow and hard to die because it's still a reminder of that old sense of me. And maybe we all have those. You can think of what that might, how you might relate to it. Um, I've been, I've been um, working at a center for grief more recently, and I also see people in loss, change, and transition um, in my pra- private practice, but um, very, very poignant to see how difficult it is when faced with loss. Um, I worked with a family, and it was really interesting that um, one of the a group of, of the teenagers that had lost their parent, one of their parents suddenly, just, I said, well, how is it for you, you know, and what what, do you, what are you seeing and learning as you're going through this very painful experience? And one of the teenagers said, I'm learning to let go, and I'm learning what's important. 
what's really important. You know, so this is, this is the wisdom that can come when we start to see how we get lost. And then the last one, the yama, the fear of death, is also the fear of life. That essentially all the maras, all the delusion, arises from a fear of death. That we want to hold on to what we have and confirm our experience and to reify ourselves. That we're really afraid of this radical kind of letting go. Of really, what if we're just here without a plan? Without trying to you know, plan when we need to plan, but really just meet the moment as it is with an open heart. All the Maras point the way to letting go. Pema Chodron talks about the story of the Buddha. Um, you, you know the story of the Buddha? The, the, it's a, whether it really happened or not, it's the story of how the Buddha was sitting on the eve of, of his enlightenment. And, and then the armies of Mara, of delusion, came and started, um, you know, hurtling their weapons at him and trying to get him off his seat and everything from convincing him that he was he didn't have what it took to wake up to um, you know tempting him with all kinds of things and and then just you know a lot of swords and arrows just anything to attack and as the Buddha just sat there what happened to those swords and arrows they became flowers that simply by sitting there without re- with non-reactivity, those arrows and weapons couldn't harm him. They became flowers. They turned to flowers as he sat unwavering. The paradoxical and transformative practices, the perceptual shifts are befriending the obstacles and taking them as teachers. They show us where we're stuck. This is a little poem by Wendell Berry um, that points to how do we be with the fear of the unknown. So if we're not lost in delusion and we're a little bit lighter with this sense of me and mine and, and being consumed in different ways of reactivity or trying to get rid of or, or medicate our experience, and and go up and down with the ups and downs. Then we go into what's called the unknown. And Wendell Berry says, Always in the big woods when you leave familiar ground and step off alone into a new place, there will be, along with the feelings of curiosity and excitement, a little nagging dread, a little nagging dread, This is the ancient fear of the unknown, and it is your first bond with the wilderness you're going into. So just taking a moment and maybe bring to mind, or maybe it's coming here tonight, like coming into the unknown. I mean, I may be an unfamiliar teacher, not what you expected, or just something where where you don't really know how it's going to go and that you're opening to it and what that feels like, and that it's very human to be uncomfortable with it. We often try to um, overlay things that are familiar into an unknown experience. And uh, we also, like I mentioned with that one person, like we kind of sometimes miss our old selves or our old way of being, or we reach for that. And... uh, uh, one teacher, Trungpa, said, and if I don't offend you, that, um, that we have this nostalgia for samsara. We have nostalgia for our old ways of just repeating these patterns. And that basically, um, that renunciations re- realizing that our nostalgia for wanting to stay in a protected, limited, petty world is insane. And that once you begin to get the feeling of how big the world is and how vast our potential for realizing life is, then you begin to understand renunciation. And basically he said, 
that um, nostalgia for samsara, for trying to have everything be grounded and according to what we want, is basically full of shit. <laughs> <It's> quote. <laughs> okay. So, so give it up. <laughs> Pema Chodron says that feelings like disappointment, embarrassment, irritation, resentment, anger, jealousy, fear, instead of being bad news, are actually very clear moments that teach us where we're holding back. They teach us to perk up and lean into what we feel rather than collapse or back away. They're like messengers that show us with terrifying clarity exactly where we're stuck. This very moment is the perfect teacher, and lucky for us, it's where, wherever we are. The other um, last week, I was on my way to um, another sangha, and I actually was sh- um, sharing um, this, going to share this talk. And um, we were on our way. This is out to Northfield, and I and I haven't been there in some years. And I had my husband come with me, and we got in the car. And um, I thought I had all the directions. And we got off the freeway, and we took a back road, and we went probably a half an hour in the wrong direction. And we ended up in, um, oh, what's that great river town? Anyway, we ended up about a half an hour in the wrong direction. And then, and then it's like, it was like, okay. So there was this moment of like frustration, irritation, and then remembering, okay, this is the teacher right here, right now. Are we, am I going to ratchet up? And then there was a little bit of almost starting, well, did you, did you get, did you, you know, starting to blame? And then, and then, and then I, Later, I found out that we were both meditating and, and trying to do some form of a compassion practice um, as, we, <laughs> as we zoomed back in the other direction and got there just in the nick of time. So, you know, just like there it is, there it is, you know, just and realizing, God, how embarrassing to show up, you know, that whole sense of, oh, I'm coming there to share the Dharma and I'm embarrassed and I'm going to show up late and I've been rushing and then I'd be arguing with my husband and sweating. But but fortunately, I realized because I'd been studying this, it's like in practicing, it's like, right, this is the perfect teacher right here where it's hot and fiery and really unpleasant. And and then so what if I end up late and I'm embarrassed? So, so. That's life, right? So um, she also says, what's encouraging about meditation is that even if we shut down, we can no longer shut down in ignorance. We see very clearly that we're closing off, and then that in and of itself, it begins to illuminate the darkness of ignorance. So actually, the fact that we suffer from the maras and that we start to recognize when we're deluded, when we're caught in strong emotion, when we're in some kind of fear, trying to get some solid ground where there's not, is that we actually, when we recognize it, that's where it starts to transform. So I'm going to give us a few more actual um, antidotes or tools here. So... Um, One great master says that samsara is the mind turned outwardly when we're lost in those habitual patterns. It's lost in its projections. And nirvana is a mind that's turned inwardly, so recognizing our own nature. So there's two levels of obstacles. Outer obstacles, I won't mention politics, where someone or something has harmed us, ruined our harmony and peace. As Pema puts it, some rascal has ruined it all. We feel disappointed, harmed, attacked, confused. People have felt this from the beginning of time. Um, In some of the classes I teach, people come forward. We talk about mindful communication. And it's like there's that co-worker or that boss or that particular situation. For me, it's computers and and electronic records where um, one, one person said I, they hated to admit it, but they completely lose it when um, the printer doesn't work <laughs> in the middle of a project. You know, it's like 
Um, I can have equanimity about a lot of things. I can listen to some really painful stuff with an open, often with a lot of compassion. And then I get home and I get on that dang computer and I have to do something on it and then the whole thing freezes or it goes haywire and everything starts to get overwhelming, you know. Um, so whatever that is, it, but it's it's out there, right? It's the, it's out there. It's that person. It's that computer. It's something. And then the other way is the inner obstacles, that perhaps nothing attacks us but our own confusion, and perhaps no solid obstacle except our own need to protect ourselves from being touched or hurt, may be the only enemy that we don't like it this way, we wish it would go away fast. So we really look at how do we relate to the difficulty. So who's causing it? Is it the outer condition? Is it out there? Or is it in here? And if we work with the inner obstacles, like, okay, so I can look at frustration. I can inquire into it. Oh, there's that frustration. There's that overwhelmed feeling when this isn't working the way I wanted. And then I can work with that in my own heart and mind rather than, you know, maybe take a hammer to the computer, right? So um, I also have um, a new um, cat. And I did not want a kitten because um, we had an elder cat and we waited and we, I wanted an older cat that um, was still young, that I didn't have to do cat hospice care for like the old one, but that, that was also old enough to not create chaos. Well, my home is now a cat-toddler nursery, and I tell you, if, I, if all of us could meditate with the attention of a cat as she watched a squirrel through the window today, I mean, and then leapt up to the window, almost ripping, I don't know, I thought the window was going to crash, and, and, and to, to look at, to grab that squirrel, and, and then her body was so strong, I mean, her determination, I mean, I could barely peel her off <laughs> the window, you know, um, but watching my equanimity go out the window, you know, as I'm dealing with this wild being, that you know, and, and and I'm learning how to train her and train my own mind at the same time. With her, I can go Psst, and have the water spray bottle. I think I should start to use it on myself. <laughs> Psst. Oh, right. You know. So, so I'm hoping I will not harm her, and and at the same time let her not harm me. So. You know, you might think about how do you work. So maybe looking at outer obstacles, are they really outer? And then what is the inner obstacles and what's the inner work and what helps you let go? So here's um, four ways to transform Mara. One is, again, in all variations of the theme, sit there. Sit there. Just let it be. Notice the emotions that they, as they arise with some kind of openness. Notice the uncomfortable feeling. Feel the sensation, smooth, fiery, hot, hard. Not trying to smooth them out. Just be with the intimacy of the experience. This is very good practice when you're in relationship, right? Where everything wants to react. And you can just be with how it is without acting on it. Actually, a friend of mine was saying how they're working with their partner in this way where instead of they're learning that if you react and you lash out, um, then you feel bad about lashing out, and then you've also hurt the person that you love, right? Um, the second one is give up on being perfect and just experience each moment to the fullest. When we start to see the Mara more like a comedy situation, allowing our hearts to be truly open, we see that there's an arrow that when there's an arrow or a sword, that we can just become aware of it. We can be inquisitive of it. So one way is, you know, really, I think like that Shakespeare line about seeing the play of it. Like if we're not taking ourselves and the whole drama so seriously and we can kind of laugh. Actually, it's, it may sound um, awful, but sometimes in the most painful situations or 
sitting with someone and, you know, really attending to that suffering with an, as open heart as possible, but then suddenly starts to lighten up and starting to laugh a bit, like, oh, yeah, right, that's really the way I'm relating to that right now. It really doesn't, it, I know it doesn't make sense. And I don't know if I'm explaining this correctly, but it's like not taking it so seriously, beginning to just shift a little bit towards, and also realize that this has been going on since beginningless time. You know, it's like it's not just me. It's all these human beings have, have um, done this, and that we can begin to touch in our wisdom mind, and I want to leave time to talk about the wisdom mind that's right underneath there. So we can, the third one is to stop um, running away when we experience what Pema calls the big squeeze. Instead of seeking pleasure, instead we just face it. And that we notice our unease and our off-centeredness. And then we open to that human dilemma that causes so much suffering. And then the arrow becomes a flower. And we discover that our vulnerability is our greatest strength. So that was three three ways. Now here's, here's the fourth and the, these dovetail. Methods for holding our seat. Don't be swayed. Don't set up a target for the arrow. Non-aggression. So what does that mean? If it's me and it got a lot at stake, I'm, I'm like sitting here and then I'm a target for all of that. But if I'm soft and I'm sort of okay, things happen and there's a softening, there's not so much of a solid target for all of that to hit upon and feel attacked and feel, um, um, take it personally or have a lighter way of viewing it. There's not like I'm taking it on. So um, if there's somebody that's having a difficult, a difficult, is angry with me about something and I can just notice and not, Oh, wow, they're angry, they're suffering, there's something going on. Perhaps I said or did something, I can own that, but I'm not like in a defensive posture. I'm not as vulnerable to the arrows. Does that make sense? Um, And then that goes with connecting. The second one is connecting with the heart of kindness and compassion. You know, having compassion for that kind of suffering, your own and others, being kind. Seeing obstacles as teachers, which we started to talk about, that actually if we don't have some sand in the oyster, some yeast in the dough, if we don't have some of the challenges, difficult people in situations, we don't, we don't really grow. We, we have these teachers, these opportunities. My cat is my teacher right now. You know, it's up-leveling a whole other level of patience. I have not been around a young child or a kitten for so many years and it's in living day to day and how am I going to either not go insane or you know be able to find some skillful ways to be with that um, and then the fourth one is regarding everything as a dream or like the movie starting to, to step back and notice it play out All Maras point the way to being completely awake and alive by letting go, by letting ourselves die moment after moment at the end of each out-breath. When we wake up, we can fully live without seeking pleasure and avoiding pain and without recreating ourselves when we fall apart. That ultimately, without the Maras, without delusion, um, without them, there's no awakening, so we need them in that way. We want to be perfect, but we keep seeing our imperfections. So that actually when we stick with the process of keep seeing where we get stuck, keep relating to things as teachers, um, the obstacles to start to take ownership of those by seeing them as how am I relating to this, that it's not just out there, I'm not just a victim, that actually we begin, as we sit through it, through this process, we get worn away, we get, it wears down. It's like we become, you know that child story, the velveteen rabbit? We get worn, we get soft, we get more fluid, we're less threatened, we're less a target for those arrows, and we start to see 
what's underneath, which is our own wisdom awakened mind. So what is the wisdom mind that we're talking about? What is that Buddha nature, that own, that own um, bodhicitta, that essence? The realization of wisdom mind is, acquainted, is equated with awakening and that wisdom is the highest mark of Buddhahood and actualized by a bodhisattva being of compassion. A Buddha wisdom mind apprehends the emptiness of all phenomenon. This is the deathless, the liberation of the mind through lack of clinging and substance. There's two kinds of wisdom. One is our ordinary wisdom, our capacity to discern, to analyze. And then the second is transcendent wisdom, which is the culmination of insight. And I'd like to read something from uh, Open Heart, Open Mind by Tsokni Rinpoche, where he said a student described the wisdom mind as like taking off sunglasses. A student expressed it recently, it's like learning to look at the world without sunglasses. If you've always worn sunglasses, you can still see, but everything is slightly tinted by the color of the sunglasses. You might not be able to stand the brightness for too long, but oh, the colors you'll see. Dizzying at first, maybe, but then a kind of curiosity takes over, and you begin to want to see those different colors. You want to see what the world looks like when it's not painted all green or by our perception or delusion. You want to see things clearly. In the same way, we must develop glimpse by glimpse some steadiness and transcendent wisdom. First, we must recognize it in our own experience, and then nurture it through meditation and practice. Once the experience of wisdom has gained some stability, you can use it as a tool to look at the world without sunglasses. How do you recognize this transcendent wisdom? Want to try it? Relax. Let your thoughts and feelings come and go. Rest in the clarity that emerges when you simply watch without engaging. Just relax. Let go. Notice what comes and goes. That's why it's recommended to practice mindfulness and concentration first. When you've achieved a state of calmness and readiness, then you're truly ready to know and understand in a deep way the dance between emptiness and appearance. Once you catch a glimpse of that dance, don't hang on to it. Just let it go. Like your first glimpse of what he calls essence love or just that unconditional love or compassion. So a lot of what we're striving to do by being a good meditator and solidifying ourselves is like, yes, we need to keep bringing the attention back to the moment. We develop those muscles, but then there also is this relax. And then we're learning how to let go, let go of the identity of this solid sense of self and having to be a certain way. It really is... Um, sad to me when I see people come in and they have an idea about how I'm not enough and I'm not good enough and I, it's not until I do A, B, C, D, and E that then I'll be happy or then I'll be lovable. And the reality is, is that the wisdom mind is available any moment where we're just able to let go and rest and be and, and get out of those stories that we keep telling ourselves and believing. And even in, the, especially in those moments, I don't know about you, but moments in life where, where like the rug is pulled out from under and you're completely at sea in your life. And sometimes it can even be on a physical basis. I literally had something like this happen um, where I, I had a, a like, um, um, a, a, a dizzy thing and it's just so 
powerful, like literally where you can't get ground under you, and it's very scary. And what else do you do in those moments? You just have to be in the moment. There's nothing else to do. The mind can't, it just, you're just there because you're, 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 you're off. Do you know what I mean? So not that you welcome, want to be, you know, endangered or something, but it's just interesting to see how scary it is sometimes to, to not know what's happening. Do you know what I mean? But if you can soften into it, then you're more likely to be able to um, respond and be with it in, 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 in a way that you maybe didn't expect. So I'm going to begin to um, um, wind down here. I had a closing poem, and I want to open things up for some discussion. <coughs> Let's see where my poem went. Maybe it decided to disappear. So it's so much for talking about groundlessness. <laughs> yep, I think it went away. But I do have a quote that I think you'll like. In the garden of gentle sanity, may you be bombarded by coconuts of wakefulness. In the garden of gentle sanity, may you be bombarded in the coconuts of wakefulness by Trungpa. So let's take a moment. Um, be happy to open up to hearing to sharing wisdom with one another comments questions um, maybe your own experience of how you work with um, times of delusion and confusion difficult emotions yeah <laughs> Well, actually, I, if I respond, it's actually, thank you for making that point, and I actually was going to share a little more on it, so thank you, which is that it's not about repressing or just letting it, you know, um, over, you know, just letting it out um, in terms of reactivity. So what we're talking about is not repressing. So denying anger and thinking and leer looking good and trying to you know not be aware of what's really happening is another form of delusion, right? So a lot of it is recognizing what you're feeling. So, so you're talking and you're describing something, and you know one telltale sign is you're talking about it like um, you know you're ordering something on the menu. You know, but it's actually a very painful story, and you're completely disconnected from the felt sense or your body. Um, a lot of people can talk, but there there's nothing. You know, so it may be like, what are you aware of? Um, oh, nothing, numb. You know, I don't know what your experience would ask you, but you know, just just starting to wake up to recognizing what's happening because some a lot of the delusion is I'm fine or I don't know, or it's somebody out there, or I'm upset, but I don't know what's really going on. So it really is a waking up. I think actually being overwhelmed with emotion and not being able to stay present in it isn't, isn't it either. You have to be able to be able to be aware of what you're feeling, not just lost in the feeling or stuff it down. No, I'm not angry. Everything's fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So thank you. Were you going to say something? Well, no, it's just, I mean, I guess when you talk about that, uh, 
Well, are, are any of you familiar with the RAIN method? If you look up R-A-I-N, that there's a recognition acceptance, but the actual direct experience, and I love that about Vipassana insight meditation, is it's really being intimate with the, the energy of it, really feeling how it feels in the body, really noticing the sensations and what's happening. So I think there's an intimacy with being able to feel the depth and breadth of our human experience, you know, and that, that the capacity, I know this is maybe a, a well-known, but the capacity to feel joy and touched by life is also the capacity to feel sort of the dark emotions because their emotions aren't good or bad. They're just our experience. So it, it just um, practices like the RAIN method, recognizing and um, accepting that they've come up and then investigating them, really being intimate with that experience, not just analyzing it, and then the letting go pieces can be helpful. Um, yeah, well, it's great you're feeling it. <laughs> takes a lot of courage and practice. How about other folks? We got a little more time. Thank you. Well put. I think that's maybe helps a lot of us, you know. And I think, you know, how to be with um, the uh, kind of delusional, the whole thing that's going on right now. It's um, all stirred up and uh, um, very easy to be a target or be lost in reactivity. And I'm working on it with everyone else. It's very challenging. Some days it's easier than others. Sometimes, actually, I've had to unplug a little more. I I don't even want to listen constantly bombarded. I think that's part of it is this bombardment um, that's going on, you know. And then who's being bombarded? Me. (laughs) I'm being bombarded. So, like, right, well, I need a little space so I can be, kind of find my balance. So take care of yourself. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we've got many months. (laughs) Many months, and this is, I imagine it's not going to get any more pleasant. (laughs) That might be the avoiding, but... (laughs) Maybe be protective. So, you ready to go home? Or you got anything else? Anybody have a, a situation you want to apply some uh, uh, wisdom mind to? No? No difficulties? <laughs> no no arrows, everything's flowers. <laughs> That's great. Mm-hmm. There's so much mm-hmm. in the waves and the airwaves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so maybe that's somehow like the a breaking through out of the delusion and illusion of right and wrong and good and bad and what all is being whipped up, all the drama and then, you know, taking taking some space and really touching into the moment of, and then how do you, you know, maybe your capacity to be present with yourself when that's when that's happening, and when you start to lose it, you know, or get lost in it, um, you know, that's where it's really skillful to take a break because then you're just, you know, lost in the river of delusion and going down with everyone you know the whole thing so it, it's challenging I, I don't I don't have like what's the way but I, I could see applying some of these methods um, in in the situation so yeah taking taking space being right here not lost in the mind and reactive motion and whatever's going on out there kind of. it's good it's good now if you think about it, all that stuff, you know, it's sounds, it's hearing, it's seeing, it's thinking, it's feeling, and then and then you're washing the dishes, right? Yeah, yeah. And I don't know, what do you think about um, kind of the dreamlike nature, more like the movie, like being, you're participating, you're not detaching, but you're not attached. It's more that non-attachment, more kind of, 
a part you know you're 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 not a cold observer but you're also not you're also aware and awake in the midst of it um you know what do you, what do you think about that does that sound too out there do people play with that just curious so Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, the non the non clinging. Well, that 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 yeah, that's one of the core teachings of the Buddha of this path. It's it's not detachment. Um, it's not clinging, and it's not being detached. It's non attached. So it's just more this. Um, it's not. It's it. We use a term like observe, but observe is is too dualistic. It's more like just being with what's happening but not being either attached to outcome wanting it to be a certain way or or aversion trying to get rid of it this more like a non-attachment like this is what how it is this is what's happening you know it's an acceptance for what is it doesn't mean i'm accepting this and i'm not going to enga- decide some response to it you know we're having talks on you know climate change or the political it's not it's not like you're not going to have any response it's not mean like well i accept it as it is and then i'm just this passive person that doesn't um, do anything it's more like i'm not so much attached to outcome i will do what i can and then and also just things things are as they are they're not in my control you know yeah, that non-attachment, it's like mindfulness. It's like a wedge of awareness is just where the freedom is. And it's the difference between being hooked and being free. So you can feel when it's happening. Like if I'm really wanting to be a certain way, you know, and I'm throwing rocks at the TV, you know, or, the, you know, or I'm just like, wow, this is a lot of, a lot of suffering, so a lot of insanity. Wow, I'm noticing I'm getting hot and anger is arising. I'm just, it's more of a non-attached way of being with what's happening where I'm filled with lots of thoughts of trying to, you know, do something unskillful. That's <laughs> right. Ever take a, a breath, you know. I made. A, I was going to make a bad joke, but I'll let it go. But I'll just say it's like seeing red. <laughs> but but it's good to know. It's good to know and just recognize. Oh, okay. Um, you know, Thich Nhat Hanh has practices too, where you, you know, you see you see how that lives in you. Some of those qualities, and also that you also. Um, see the person like a little boy or a little girl you see them that they they too just want to be happy you start to shift how you're seeing that enemy or that person yeah isn't it almost like how we're saying we're externally connected yeah yeah were you making a point no looking for a response <laughs> no <laughs> sorry yeah, that's fine. I just didn't know if you wanted to respond because that, yeah, that sounds, yeah, right, right on. Yeah, yeah. I think you mentioned something that used to hand gesture. Was it the big squeeze? Yeah. The big squeeze. It's like the, those moments when it's the big squeeze, when it's really like tight and you're like, ah, I don't want this to be happening. I really, and you're you're like, yeah, and, you, and it's visceral too. You know, it's like... And then, and right there, right in that moment, beginning to soften, and and practice with that, with awareness, and just and and you can have compassion for yourself. Often people forget, you know, it's like, oh right, I can hold that with some compassion, you know, like oh poor baby, sweetheart, wow, you're really you're really freaking here. It's all you can do to not, you know, go, you know, run away or reach for something or say something and. And so it takes a lot of courage, you know, and it's like what the Buddha did. He sat to kept his seat. And that's that's the practice. Is like and then also when we fall off our seat, it doesn't matter because that's how we recognize how we wake up. So actually the more you go on the path, I don't know if this is 
and I'll finish up here. The more you go on the path, and maybe this is not news you want to hear, um, like if I, in my experience, if I say that the teacher's like, oh, yeah, I think I'm getting it, practice going pretty smooth or whatever, versus I say, oh, my God, I just keep seeing all these places where, you know, I get lost or stuck or caught up or identify or I'm attached. It's like, good, good practice. Like where you start to see the delusion and the clashes is where you're actually waking up. It's that sometimes it's like if it's like, oh, everything's cool and smooth, there's probably something I'm missing. It's not that I can't, we can't enjoy a momentum of practice, but also sometimes it's like there's probably something I'm not seeing that's under the radar. And then actually being glad, like I'm, I'm glad, like somebody gave me some feedback the other day. It's like, thank you. That's really helpful because that's how I can grow and learn. And if it's just like, oh, fine, fine, whatever. So, thank you. Well, let, let's finish up with a little loving kindness. And, um, yeah. So just invite you to let the words go. And take a moment really appreciate yourselves for taking time to to practice and hear the dharma tonight and take what you will and let go the rest but to really appreciate what brought you here and your own desire for freedom and peace happiness your own good heart and then we can share it we can wish that the benefits of our practice go to the benefit and awakening of one another, of everyone here that supports and practices at the center. We can bring to mind people near and dear to us that are easy to open our hearts to. May they be well. May they be happy and free from suffering or stress. And then we can expand the field of loving kindness and the benefits of our practice out into the world, near and dear and far and wide, people and beings known and unknown to us that we share our lives with. And into this world where there's so much delusion and suffering and confusion. So as far and wide as your heart wants to go tonight, May all sentient beings everywhere in all times and places in all directions know true peace, true happiness, and freedom. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org.